Hi, you're listening to iiPod, the official podcast of the Duke Lemur Center in Durham, North Carolina. I'm Matt Bortz, curator of fossils at the Duke Lemur Center. And I'm Megan McGrath, education programs manager at the Duke Lemur Center. Hi, Megan. Hi, Matt. Today on iiPod, we are going to chat with one of our colleagues who has gotten to know our Shafak pretty well over her 13 years at the Duke Lemur Center. Hi, my name is Melanie Curry. I'm a primate technician. Melanie, how did you first become aware of the Lemur Center? I was born and raised here in Durham, so I've always been aware of the Lemur Center. My journey here was a little roundabout for sure. I was a women's studies major at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And I've always worked with animals in different capacities. I've been a pet sitter, dog walker, and I just started volunteering here. And that led you to being hired as a full-time primate technician. So that job title is not very familiar to folks outside of the Lemur Center or research world. What does it actually mean? Yeah, so when I tell people I'm a primate technician, I get blank stares. So basically, I'm a zookeeper working specifically with prosimians. Prosimians are the type of primates that includes lemurs. And here at the Lemur Center, animal husbandry is the biggest part of our day. So it's mostly cleaning, feeding, getting eyes on all the animals that we're taking care of, making sure everyone here is happy and healthy and thriving to the best of of their abilities, and occasionally medicating animals if, if need be. And then it's a lot of physical work. So lots of heavy lifting, lots of wetting, bending, chopping down trees, dragging them out of the forest, cutting fresh browse for the animals daily driving the four-wheeler through Duke Forest, one of my favorite tasks. So yeah, it's a very active, very physical job that requires a lot of attention to detail. You mentioned attention to detail. What what do you mean? As the zoo world in general becomes more technologically advanced, we're required to do a lot more documentation and paperwork, tracking different things that we're studying, because first and foremost, we are a research facility. So we do have tasks like that that require a lot of attention to detail, a lot of problem solving. So what does a day spent caring for Cockroach Shafak look like for you? Yeah, so from my perspective, they're a little difficult to take care of. They have a very specific gut system going on. They require a very specific diet and they like to make a huge mess. So they really add minutes, hours to my day. But again, I love every minute of it. They are very active all over the place. They oftentimes live in bigger families. It just requires a lot of time and attention. The Shafak in my section, they uh, get to free range anytime it's warm enough above 41 degrees here in North Carolina. That's plenty of days. So they hop through NHE2, going through the forest, jumping from tree to tree, browsing on the bark on the trees. Um, They love the fresh shoots in the spring and the summer, um, sunning themselves, uh, living their best life. The troop of Shafak you care for now spends a lot of time free-ranging in natural habitat enclosure number two, which around here we call NHE2. What's that like for the Shafak? NHE2 is about seven or eight acres in the middle of Duke Forest. It's full of lots of different trees, lots of pine trees, deciduous hardwood trees, and the cockerel shafak that I take care of, free range out there, bouncing around tree to tree, grazing on fresh bark off the trees, tree buds, new blooms in the spring and summer. That's their favorite. So they're just out there sunning themselves, living their best lives. 
can you talk us through what a Shafak troop looks like, especially what their social structure looks like at the Lemur Center? For the Cockrell Shafak, it is only family groups. So it's just mom, dad, and the offspring. Usually when the daughters become uh, sexually reproductive, the mom kicks them out and... The same for the males. When the sons become ready to start their own family, dad will kick them out. The group size usually ends up about five or six members before those older siblings start to to get kicked out of their family group, which is totally natural and normal for the species. And these families are, of course, led by mom. Shafak females are notoriously dominant, even for lemurs. So what is life like for the female leading the troop? So you decide where you go, where you sleep. Um, mom gets first choice of food. Um, if it's cold outside at the end of the day, when they come together as a family, they all join up in this giant lemur ball, wrap their tails around each other. If it's chilly and the dominant female wants to be in the middle, she gets to, she wants to sleep on the outside. She gets to whatever mom says goes, and there's no options. Like that's how, that's how everything in their life is structured. And this can result in some really funny moments that people might have seen on social media where we end up uh, with what we like to call soggy shafak, right? Because we have some dominant females who uh, don't mind the rain. Yeah, absolutely. So if it's pouring down rain and your mom enjoys that and wants to spend the day out there, that's where your family's going to be all day long. The critical time for managing these family groups is when there's a change in the social structure, which we call baby season. Not only is it a time for readjustment for everyone, but I'm sure that there are some details for you to keep up with, right? It's a little stressful. We're constantly on the lookout. Um, Most of the species here have a breeding season and a birthing season, so we can somewhat predict when they should be breeding and when they should be giving birth. And of course, if we're lucky enough to have breeding details, then we should have a better guesstimation about when the infants are born. So mostly we're checking on the moms constantly to make sure they're doing okay as they approach their due date. As anyone who works with animals may know, they study us just as much as we study them. So they tend to wait until we are not here to give birth in privacy. So as our morning shift starts here at the DLC at 6.30, we're doing baby checks. We're going around and seeing who's given birth overnight. And then the veterinarians are called. To reduce the stress of the attention a new mom and her baby receive, Melanie has used positive reinforcement for training during this critical time. I was lucky enough to work with uh, Pompeia Platina, a favorite cockerel shafak of mine, and we did voluntary infant removal training. And so that required... Two years of constant training with her on a daily basis. She would allow me to do belly palpations, breast palpations, and just check on her and make sure everything was going well. And then the very first time she gave birth as first-time mom, the trust and the bond was there, and she allowed me to remove the infant within the context of a training session, have the vets check it out. I had trained her for a voluntary postpartum exam with the vets so the vets could palpate her belly and check her breast for milk. And it was all 100% calm, which is exactly what you want for a new mom and a new baby. And then I just returned her infant to her, paid her rent with a, a fresh peanut. And yeah, and it was it's it's just amazing. And that never gets old for me. It's just remarkable how you can build up so much trust with a wild animal that they help you improve their and their baby's quality of life. The trust goes both ways, you know. I mean, taking her first infant away from her, she could have harmed me if she wanted. So it required 
trust on both of our parts. It always blows my mind how tiny Shafak babies are when they're born. They weigh the same as a stick of butter. Generally, the average birth weight of a, a Shafak infant is around 100 grams. They cling to mom's belly low on her belly. And um, this is a species that can leap up to 30 feet. So little babies holding on for dear life and tucked up kind of behind her legs and her belly. And that's where she spends most of the time unless she's nursing. So the infants nurse a lot, just like all new infants. When they get a little bit bigger, a couple months or so, they'll flip around and ride on mom's back, kind of jockey style with their arms around mom's neck and hanging on there. Again, as mom's jumping 30 feet through the air, they're holding on back there. And that's where they're learning where to travel, what are the good things to eat. They're seeing mom being very choosy about what she does eat, what she doesn't eat. And a little head will pop over the shoulder every now and then and taste things. And then as they get a little more independent, they'll start to leap away, never far from mom until they're much bigger. They will stick close to mom, but also spend time with dad and other siblings, especially if there's other siblings, because play is a big part of all infant development, regardless of the species. So you'll see a lot of play between mom and infants, sometimes dad and infants, but definitely between siblings. And it's a little bit nerve wracking, right, to watch the kind of play that Shafak do because they're so adept at being so high in the trees hanging from like a hand or a foot. And so one of the games I see all the time, I like to call King of the Branch or Queen of the Branch is more appropriate. Let's say that Queen of the Branch for lemurs. And it's like tiny baby and twice as big sibling hanging from a foot kind of jostling for place like 20 or 30 feet up from the ground. It's a lot of Greco-Roman style wrestling as well. So you'll see feet in the face, you know, biting on tails. One thing that Shafak infants enjoy is swinging from adults' tails. It's it's wonderful to watch. There's nothing quite like Shafak playing for me because they have that lemur play face. It's kind of this big toothy open mouth smile. Pretty important for older siblings, right? Because they yeah. gotta be like, I'm not hurting the baby, mom. Yeah. <laughs> but then they also just constantly spring loaded and they just like erratically bounce everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's they're not even totally sure of where they're going next. It's just really kind of chaotic in a really cute way. Yeah, it is. And it's it's throughout the day. And if you're lucky enough to see that yeah it makes your day you mentioned how the baby will reach around and learn what to eat from what mom is eating and you also mentioned that the shafak diet is tricky to manage so can you tell us more about their diet and some more about those challenges so the Shafak are very different from all the other lemur species that we have here at the lemur center and they have an extremely specialized diet and it's because of their gut system so they have a long complicated gut system it's a 48 hour system so whatever they eat does not pass out as feces until 48 hours later and as a result these guys don't eat fruit because it could um, ferment in their bellies causing them to be sick so here at the lemur center these guys are offered a diet of leaf eater chow fresh vegetables and it's i'm telling you these animals eat better than we do it's all organic triple washed beautiful cabbage collard greens Broccoli, cauliflower, all the good vegetables you can think of, cucumbers and carrots and sweet potatoes and golden beets. And in addition to that, they're provided a protein source each day. So it's either in the form of nuts or beans. And then they get dark leafy greens like spinach or fresh kale or collards and um, and then leaves. 
part of our job here at the lemur center as keepers is we have to go out into the woods we have to cut fresh leaves for these guys they require the leaves every single day to make their guts work um so we're out you might see us travel you're traveling through durham you'll see keepers on the side of the road cutting fresh leaves for these guys it's a uh, we're lucky here in north carolina the wide variety of leaves these guys can eat sweet gum tulip poplar Grapevine, red bud, but their favorite, and they do have a favorite, is winged sumac or mimosa. And of course, those things aren't available year round. So we have to do a big harvest at the end of the summer to freeze lots of these leaves so that we have these to offer these guys throughout the winter and they love them and will train for them. You mentioned leaf eater chow, so that's like doggy biscuits, but for leaf eating animals, or like what? What is that? Yeah, it's like dog chow for dogs, but this is specifically made for leaf eater animals. When you feed them, you often make meal time more interesting, right? We oftentimes use the diets as a way to enrich the animals. So we so we want to try and have these guys hang for their food, or reach for their food, or have to forage through different containers, trying to simulate these natural behaviors. When the weather keeps them inside, Shafak make a mess. Ideally, they would be in the woods, and I would be feeding them in the woods. And if their food falls on the forest floor, there's not a problem with that. Like, that's, that's absolutely natural, and... I couldn't care less about that. But during the cold months when they are inside, the first thing they do is throw it on the floor. Chances are it is going where their poop is. And they're just throwing leaf litter everywhere and throwing stems everywhere and like stripping the collard greens off the stalk and throwing that and taking the corn off the cob and throwing that. So it is literally trash. They have high value foods that they're going to go for first and then everything else is low value and they will eat it. It's just that's later. That's that's for afternoon snack. You mentioned the training you did for Pompeia and her baby. But what is it like to train a shafak? Uh, they just require a lot of time being put into the training. So it's just consistency. And again, working on those relationships and learning the animal you're working with. Uh, what's their favorite treat? What what activities do they enjoy? How can I make training fun and engaging for them as well as achieving the goals that I have in mind? So it just takes a lot more patience. Beyond training, we also see how the Shafak learn from one another. Pompeia and her daughter, Francesca, have one of my favorite social learning stories, which is Pompeia had free-ranged previously. And then uh, when she got the chance to free-range with her daughter, Francesca, they were getting along great, but Francesca had never free-ranged before. Would you care to take us through how that process went for little Francesca? Oh, it was painfully awkward. So she just didn't know how to make good choices. So she would jump on a limb that couldn't even hold a squirrel, much less a cockerel shafak, which would take her straight to the ground. Or she would jump in the bushes and expect them to hold her. And she was just so excited to be outside. She wanted to check out everything and she just, she didn't know how to make good choices. It was Interesting to see her learn, but she was loving every minute of it. Her face was showing how excited and interested and fascinated she was to be out there. And of course, mom was there the whole time, acting like a mature, calm, (laughs) reasonable Shafak, eating all the good leaves. 
And to be clear, Francesca is now a seasoned free ranger. Absolutely. She did really well eventually, just an awkward learning stage. Yeah, the the missing of the jumps and, and choosing bad limbs, that only lasted about the first week. I can tell you really like working with the Shafak. What's your favorite part? I I love the training. It's um, I learn as much as they learn, and it's always about how can I help move them to the next level as far as their training goes. So training with the animals, that's my absolute favorite. I love seeing the families grow, seeing like two Shafak that I knew that when they were first born, little infants, and now they're adults and they're together starting their own family. And that's just really that's that's beautiful. That's that's what we're here for to um, to prop up the species. And some days are unfortunately not as joyful. We care for these animals day in day out, and some of our guys are geriatrics. And when you're taking care of them of them at the end of their lives, it's it's an honor and a privilege, but it 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 takes its toll emotionally as well. We've built these relationships with these guys, and we've seen all of their successes. And then you have to let go and. It's part of the job, but it's a tougher part of the job that you have to learn to live with. You got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Well, literally in that example, right? Because you don't get those beautiful relationships without having the emotional investment, right? Absolutely. And while there are challenges with caring for geriatric lemurs, they do have such fantastic personalities. They're amazing. They don't do dumb things. Like they're really predictable. And just the relationship you can build with an animal over time is incredible. And, you know, you're here for birth of their children, their grandchildren, and then you see them grow up and mature. It's a privilege and an honor. I think many of those who work among the species we have here at the Lemur Center would describe it that way as as a privilege. But even so, I bet you have a favorite. Personally, my favorite species are the I.I. They are so super unique. They are amazing on so many levels. Um, They're one of the most intelligent animals that we have. I oftentimes joke that they're like little mad scientists tinkering, taking things apart, really thinking the enrichment that we give them here has to be really in-depth and take up lots of time. And they're just so unique. They're not like any other animal anywhere. The I.I. is a really special animal and shameless plug. If you didn't already listen to season one of I.I. Pod, you should go back and learn more about the amazing I.I.s. Well, Melanie, I know how challenging it is to carve out time for anything else in your busy day of animal care. So thank you so much for making the time to join us for this wonderful chat. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this Duke Lemur Center journey. Subscribe and discover more episodes each season. We look forward to sharing more about the Duke Lemur Center with you soon. And in the meantime, follow us on social media and visit us at lemur.duke.edu. A special thanks to Julie Bortz who edited this episode. And thank you and goodbye for now. From Matt and Megan and all the primates at the Duke Lemur Center. 